Raph, tell me a secret. <laughs> That's not the point of secrets, is it? Fizz. Buzz. Fizz Buzz. I'm Stacy. And I'm Mo. And you've tuned in to Fizz Buzz Podcast. Your favorite tech and comedy podcast. Boop, boop. And so today we are joined by a special guest, Raph. Hi, Raph. Hello. Um, could you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm, I'm Raph, Raph Estrada. Um, I'm a software engineer turned manager. I'm currently the head of engineering at a company called Nori here in Dublin. Very cool. Um, and Raph also used to be my manager many moons ago. So that's how we know Raph. But we have invited him on the show today to talk about imposter syndrome. So, you know, <laughs> that's how we have to say it now. Every single time we reference it, we have to have a spooky tone. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like Dracula organ. Do it in post. Yeah. Yeah. We will. We will. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> So one of the scariest things, I think, in, in any job, really, or any kind of walk of life you're in to have imposter syndrome. So thank you for joining us today and being a part of that conversation with us. No problem. Thank you for having me. And yeah. Um, but yeah. before we get started on the main topic of imposter syndrome, we have a few, um, you know, formalities, fizzbuzz formalities <laughs> that we have for uh, the guests. And the first one is our rapid fire questions. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> uh -oh. So, um, um, you've listened to Fizzbuzz before, wow. and with that, you've you've heard some rapid fire, and really, they're just easy questions. You know the answer to all of them, and just tell us the first thing that pops into your head, and it's more just to to warm us up, to loosen the lips, so to speak. So. Bit of a ritual, you know. <laughs> Um, so your first question is, what's your favorite color? Blue. Nice. Uh, how do you like your coffee? With a lot of cream in it. Mm-hmm. What's your horoscope sign? I actually don't know. <laughs> what month were you born? Um, I know the German name for it, but it's in December. The... Oh, Capricorn. Uh, the uh, bow and arrow Sagittarius. Thing. Sagittarius, that's fine. Oh, you too. Oh, no, you're not a Sagittarius. No, I'm a Scorpio. You already obviously. knew that. Oh, geez. What's the German word for it? Schütze. Schütze. Which is cool. shooter. Oh, yeah. A very literal description. That's so funny. This is a bit of a tangent, but I took a German class once in my undergrad, and we had a whole chapter just on asking each other your horoscope sign. I don't remember it at all, but I just remember that that was a thing. Are horoscopes really big in Germany? Depends on who you speak to, but they're definitely popular parts of everyday newspaper things. Oh, very cool. <laughs> what is your favorite video game? That is a tough one. <laughs> Doom? Doom? <laughs> if I had to pick, it would probably be Doom. Uh, the original Doom, but all, also the very recent ones, in case you're into video games. I've been enjoying those. Very violent, very liberating pastime. <laughs> Last one. Where are you from? I'm originally from Germany, and I moved to Ireland about, well, it was 2010. That's 13 years ago now, almost. Wow. And what brought you to Ireland? That's a really good question. Uh, we had been, like, my wife and kids are both from Germany. So 
are all from Germany. So we used to, how far, how deep do I go on this now? I guess is a question. Uh, we wanted a change of scenery. We wanted to try something different and the kids were still young enough where it wasn't such a big, a big thing to move to another country. Once they're older and have friends, it gets a lot more difficult to relocate. So we just wanted to try living somewhere else for a while. And Ireland made a lot of sense for practical reasons because um, it was an English-speaking country in the EU with very little paperwork having to move between EU countries. So we just kind of came here and <laughs> didn't really know much about the country or what, how it was going to pan out, knowing that we could easily go back mm. if it didn't work out. Um, so that was it. We just wanted to try something else. And Ireland was just really, really convenient. Cool. And you tested the waters and you decided you loved it, I'm assuming, because you're still here. We are still here and we have no plans of leaving yet. So yeah. yes, definitely loving it. And glad we made, we, we did that experiment. Perfect. And that's a great segue. So <laughs> just thinking. <laughs> yeah, now that we've finished our rapid fire questions and we know everything that there possibly is to know about you, um, we are going to ask you, what's your favorite thing about Ireland? My favorite thing about Ireland is probably the dare the food. Dairy and beef are staples of my diet and they are of ridiculously high quality here they in are. Ireland. Yeah. So not a day goes by where I don't have cream in my coffee as i said and i'm a big fan of, of the beef that you can get even in your local mcdonald's or wherever you get like by global standards pretty high quality beef so that's that's my favorite thing about ireland is the food <laughs> i i do agree like even um like going back to the u.s i find i don't like to have any of the milk or any of the beef because i'm like oh it's just they're like they put a lot of hormones in them and you don't know if it's humane but you come to ireland and like you just want to soak it all up because it does feel so like tasty and whole and rich it's mm. delicious and they're so proud of it as well like i it's like you can really see how they take such pride in creating like the dairy and beef industry like it's like a cultural tradition and like even walking into the supermarket you can see the signs where it's like a hundred percent irish beef or like a hundred percent irish produce or something like that and it just like you know yes i'm gonna buy those irish carrots because i know they're gonna be great you know so now we can, we can start talking about the, it we can get into beef <laughs> the <Yeah>. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> of the dreaded the dreaded imposter syndrome so <laughs> with that <laughs> um can you tell us in your own words what is imposter syndrome it is the definition i suppose what is imposter syndrome that's a good question um i think the popular definition would be that if you feel less qualified for a task than you actually are i think that's what i would call um, imposter syndrome to the point where you feel like others are going to eventually call you out and catch on to you and identify you as this pretender or imposter that you feel like. I think that's what, what commonly I would associate with, with imposter syndrome. I uh, know someone who was like, I tricked them into thinking that I could get this job or I could do this thing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I that was his way of kind of talking about his own imposter syndrome. Um, yeah, one way of saying it. Yeah, and tricked, I think, is an interesting word to use because it implies that you did it um, with, like, 
bad intentions as well. Like I tricked you into thinking I can do X, Y, and Z when it's not true to be mean or something, even though I don't know if that's ever the intention. And with that, how do you deal with your own imposter syndrome? Yeah, like, do you have imposter syndrome? I definitely have experienced imposter syndrome a lot. Mm -hmm. I think most of us have. Um, The way I deal with it, I guess, depends on depends on the situation, right? Um, first of all, it's just a feeling. Like to, to me, imposter syndrome is is a very irrational feeling of low confidence. That's how it usually starts. And dealing with it depends on if you actually think you are an imposter or not. Does that make sense? I think that's actually the big problem with imposter syndrome is you might feel less confident about something you're trying to do, but how do you really tell if you're pretending or not? Like, how do you know if you're that imposter? Uh, or you just have low confidence about your abilities. I think that's what makes it tricky. I suppose, like, how do you distinguish between if you're feeling like you're an imposter versus, like, can you really be an imposter? You know? Well, you just said something good there that being an imposter kind of suggests that you're doing it on purpose. So you're kind of yeah. knowingly faking something, uh, which I don't think most of us do. So, um, I guess you have to start thinking about why do you feel that lack of confidence and is it are you really not qualified for something and I think the best way to find that is to get some data right mm-hmm. or maybe in in your job you should probably be talking to your manager about these things and um, because you need you need some frame of reference to be able to tell like where is the bar and am I meeting that bar or not so I think getting data and other people's perspectives on your work is very helpful to kind of um diffuse that feeling of imposter syndrome and how do you feel when you are experiencing imposter syndrome how does it feel for you it feels stressful um it feels like um it feels lonely a little bit i think that's Mm -hmm. part of it too like whenever i have felt this lack of confidence it was mostly because maybe i didn't get the kind of signal or feedback that i needed Mm -hmm. to know that it's actually all okay um, so, yeah, stress and loneliness are usually for me connected to, to that like lack of feedback, perhaps, or um, and that's why I think how, talking to your peers and your manager usually help a lot, if you ever feel that like you're in that point. Because I find as well, I I've experienced that loneliness. I even some think relish is the wrong word, but I think that like when I feel it, it's like I'm the only person in the world who like feels this down about themselves, you know? And it's, it's, I, what's the, there's a word for that. I'm forgetting. Being dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I am very dramatic. Point is, we all feel it. We're all in it, but it feels lonely. That was where it came from. Yeah. And I think for myself, where it ended up coming from was like, I had been so green to the industry and like not knowing what to expect. I don't know if I'm doing the right things at the right time. Whereas everyone around me is so like experienced in the industry and they know exactly what to do next because they've had 10 years of experience to do so. So it's like, I think that's where my imposter syndrome comes in because it's like, I actually don't know what direction to go into or like, am I doing the right things at the right time? And it's like that talking head song where it's like, some days you find yourself and you're in another country and like, this isn't my house and this isn't my wife. And like, you know, you just kind of 
wake up and you're just like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so like, you know, it's like having that touch base of like, oh yeah, you're definitely in the right direction. You're doing the right things. You're making the right moves kind of helped cleared it up for me. Like I still have imposter syndrome every day, but like, you know, it's something that it's becoming less so because I'm less green. But um, I think it is interesting though, because it seems like um, imposter syndrome has become such a buzzword lately. Like I've seen it around. Mo, you've actually written an article about it. Um, and I did. It was like the seven cliches of how to overcome imposter syndrome. One of which was funny enough, Roth, fake it till you make it, <laughs> which goes back to my last question of what is real imposter and what's not, but somehow faking it helps you get over Impo- that was my advice anyway yeah. <laughs> just do it basically yeah. i think it is how you can deal with that right like if um if you feel like all you really need is the confidence if you actually um if, if it's just a confidence problem and you feel like you need that boost right getting faking it till you make it is the way to go sometimes we all need to do that sometimes we just need that nudge to overcome our anxiety and just do the thing and kind of figure it out as we go. And um, doing that alone can be difficult. So that's where I think having some kind of a champion is usually helpful too. Someone, I think you spoke a few episodes ago about your sisterly advice mm-hmm. of surrounding yourself by people who have done the thing well that you want to do well. Um, and I think that would that helps in situations like this too, just having supporters, people who are willing to help you overcome that feeling of uh, inferiority perhaps and just mm-hmm. like get into it and once you're in it sometimes that feeling just goes away there is a you can take fake it till they make it too far though i think so I, like i would want to fake being a dentist till i make it <laughs> no oh, no no <laughs> yeah that'd be kind of horrible for at least a little while <laughs> but not for you for your patients <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, i'm sure i'd learn it eventually I'd, I'd figure it out at some point um, but yeah, I think that's um, the important part is to be able to tell, like, is it really just confidence or do I really need to learn something here? And mm-hmm. that's where the lines can get blurry, right? Yeah, yeah. And in, in the blog post, and I, I'd say you'd agree here, is that up to a certain point and then at that stage, you do have to to learn and take on those challenges to grow into being that thing. To, but like the faking it till you make it is sort of just to get the ball rolling and then from there you start practicing and learning and then you really are the thing that you were faking to be but it's more just like I'm faking it for now until I am the thing forever something, something like that those weren't the words I used in the blog post until you become it yeah, yeah until you become it yeah there's um, I'm actually not sure how do I say this I think that aligns well with how imposter syndrome is being described in my bubble lately. Like when you read about it and when people talk about it, I think that's that fake it till you make it uh, is kind of what people recommend. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of us need that boost sometimes and that that little, what's the word, those words of confidence, just keep going. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually, because I, I did some Wikipedia reading on the topic mm-hmm. and it seems like the origins of imposter syndrome are slightly different though. So there's like these two angles on it. I actually don't think there's a medical definition of imposter syndrome either. So I think it's just a thing that everyone has a slight t- different take on it. Um, but apparently there was um, a study in the 70s. So it's 50 years ago now. Um, 
it was two psychologists who's who had a bunch of clients, most of which were um, successful female leaders in various Fortune 500 companies, and they noticed a pattern among their clients, and that a lot of them, even though they were very successful in what they did, felt like imposters, and that they're what we were just saying, right? They they didn't feel like they were as good as their peers at what they were supposed to doing, and, and it had like a bad. They felt guilty almost as if they were going to get caught out soon. And these psychologists then did a study on that and coined the term imposter syndrome. And I think the key point that I took away from that was not only did they feel like that lack of confidence, but that was actually an unjustified lack of confidence because they were like, objectively speaking, they were great at their jobs. They totally deserved to be where they were, but they felt that they mm. didn't deserve it. And I think that's the key, the key to imposter syndrome. It's not just the I lack confidence, but it's actually that I... I'm actually good at this stuff. I shouldn't feel guilty for it about about doing what I'm doing, but I do it. I feel like that anyway. And I think that's how I understand imposter syndrome, at least originally, was kind of coined. Um, but lately, when we talk about it, we usually refer to just lack of confidence primarily, and then needing a boost of confidence to get out of it. That's really interesting because I think that, like, even the person that I referenced who is like, I faked my way into this job. Um, he's so brilliant, you know, and he's like really good at like coding and tech. And like, I didn't think that at all. I was like, well, of course this person got a job. He's brilliant. So like, but that's how he saw himself. Um, and yeah, like, so I guess it goes more beyond, cause I'm, I'm curious if like people who you know, maybe aren't as self-critical or like don't have like, I don't know how to say this without sounding bad, <laughs> but like people who I suppose like don't have like a strong of a drive or like, you know, maybe are a little more laid back that they don't experience imposter syndrome or maybe not in the same way um, where it's like, oh yeah, I'll get the job. It's fine. Or I won't. And it's fine. You know, they might not experience imposter syndrome, but like... You mean to tell me there's people out there who live without anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> I don't and know. are confident. They're like, of course I'll get a job. Like, people deserve to pay me money. Like, what? I don't know. I feel like that... I don't know. Maybe it's a fake it till you make it. Like, maybe they're just out there faking it. That's a different kind of fake it till you make it, though. Yeah. Like I'm not sure if faking it till you make it actually is, at least in the spirit of the original imposter syndrome, because yeah. <laughs> you're not faking it if you're actually good at what you do. Yeah. You just feel guilty about it. But if you have to fake it, I'm not sure, like maybe you are an imposter. You know, like not, I mean, yeah. it's in the best of ways, but like sometimes we have anxiety and we shouldn't. Or sometimes, like me being a dentist, like I would, I would have a lot of anxiety for all the right reasons. True. I also think as well, inexperience is like a huge thing um, where like when like I felt it, I suppose it has a lot to do with like comparing yourself to others. And that's where a lot of the imposter syndrome comes from, because there's like I'm, you know, here somewhere on a graph. If anybody is wondering, I'm using hand gestures uh, to make a pretend graph. So I'm here low on a graph. And then in my other hand, there's these other people who are really high on a graph. Um, so just visualize that people. Uh, and I want to be where the other people are. 
and this is all my own perspective but I think as well like uh, in my role when I joined Forest for instance I came in as a graduate and a lot of people in Forest they're all very talented and then lots of other places as well and I'm sure lots of other grads feel this way in other companies too um, but there were so many you know very talented senior people and right away I'm like why aren't I as good as these people who have had 15 years experience I should be as good as them you know and the the first thing anybody ever says it's like why are you comparing yourself to someone who has 15 year experience when you have two or one or you just got into this job this is your first job and I think that that like that comparing yourself to others is like a big thing like if I just focused on myself and I was just like I'm here and today I learned this new thing in JavaScript and tomorrow I learned this new thing about databases or you know and like you just focus on yourself and your own learning trajectory and your own growth there wouldn't be that sense of like being an imposter it's that sense of like oh all these other people are over there doing these great things why aren't I doing that and you know so I think there's a balance of seeing those other people and like using them as like maybe somewhere to grow but grow to or be like or use as mentors but not to not that you use your mentors but you know what I mean um but yeah not to say like why aren't I like them I I agree with that and I saw both of you go through some of this while we still work together and this is totally normal because those people you are looking at and comparing yourself against they were all at that place before so it's it's a totally natural journey as you're learning something new to go through phases of feeling less confidence about what you're doing because you're leaving your comfort zone right? you're, you know, every time we do something we're not we haven't done a whole lot before um, there's this natural uncomfortable feeling of like how I'm gonna how am I gonna figure this out yeah I'm gonna do am I gonna do well at this especially if it's your job and you know you care about what other people think about your work um, you don't want to maybe make too many mistakes you know because it kind of nobody wants to make mistakes right but it kind of belongs to the growth like if you really want to grow into these things you have to push yourself out of that zone and just be willing to make some mistakes and like everyone else has so that they can get to the point where others compare themselves against them um i wouldn't call that imposter syndrome i think that's totally natural growth i think anyone who wants to actually grow in whatever they're doing needs to go through a lot of phases of that just like try something new suck at it for a while <laughs> make a few mistakes and get better at it and then eventually come out on the other side um, I think calling that imposter syndrome is almost um, it's almost wasting an opportunity for growth because like the moment you call it imposter syndrome you're basically saying like it's not me it's them you know, I'm actually good at this I'm just going to ignore um, this feeling that maybe I have to learn something or get better at something whereas if you actually embrace that sometimes um, that's the right thing to do and then you can actually get better at it and get confidence on that path as well so i wouldn't be too quick to label a feeling of that lack of confidence or this feeling of you know maybe not being good at something yet i wouldn't close the door on that by calling it imposter syndrome i'd actually embrace that whenever possible yeah that's a great point actually because i feel like we're like I don't know, at least for me, like, imposter syndrome is thrown around quite a lot, like, and it seems to be something that, like, the engineering industry, I think every industry, to be honest, has imposter syndrome, and it seems so readily available, and I don't know why in this day and age it's 
so talked about. Like, I don't remember it ever before <laughs> until, like, I started working in tech. And then everyone was like, oh, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome. You know, like, it's out to get you. Um, so it is kind of interesting. So I wonder why it is so rampant, why everyone is rampant. And I wonder if it's because, it's, like you said, the lack of confidence or... Is it really out there? Is it real? <laughs> is it the boogeyman? Is it Mothman? What's imposter syndrome? It's definitely real. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. I'd say you, you said like it's, uh, we said loneliness. You mentioned something about, uh, how did you call it? Um, you described another emotion related to imposter syndrome a moment ago. Uh, tricking? Or tricking? Uh, guilt. Guilt. Yeah, so it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Anyway. It's an emotional thing. <laughs> right? I'm like, what was the feeling? Yeah. And it's, so it's definitely real. I don't think it's a new thing. I don't mm-hmm. think it's limited to tech. Um, I, I, this is totally my own uninformed take on this, but I think the reason we hear a lot about it in tech is because tech is a very fast-moving industry. Um, there's always new people coming into that industry, and it's always scary to see like the endless amount of things I don't know yet. So we're always faced with that. We're always confronting things we haven't done before or we don't feel very good at. So... I think it's normal to very often think about like why why am I feeling this way? This is normal and talk to other people about it and then I think imposter syndrome just is a, is a welcome answer in that situation. It's probably the right answer in many cases where it's unjustified. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us are not trying to fake something. We're all trying to do a good job. So when we feel like we are, you know, imposters, it's probably not the right feeling. And there's probably something else underlying that that we have to get to right. And that's Ultimately, I think like that reflection, I think is really the fix. If you're ever feeling that way, I wouldn't stop at this is imposter syndrome. I'd go a level deeper and try to find out like, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel maybe lonely or why do I feel guilty for what I'm doing? And try to get like, it's, that's not, not comfortable work, mm-hmm. right? But I think that's the right, the right um, fix for imposter syndrome. It's just a human thing. And it has a human solution where you just have to talk to people and go get more, more, more data on uh, to, to counter that because it's a bias right imposter syndrome is it's uh, it's a cognitive bias and as biased humans uh, we can't really trust our own judgment on them so we need to lean on others to help us get out of that and, and navigate the way out of out of that feeling yeah especially like for ourselves we always have that well not everybody but I find for myself especially I have quite a negative bias where like, I'm like, I'm a piece of everybody else is amazing, you know? And then obviously that's not true. And, you know, we all kind of meet somewhere in the middle. But um, I do think that like the advice of like gathering as much data and making things as objective as possible is really good. And like, I've actually had that happen to me where like I'm in a one-on-one and I'm crying and I'm like, I'm terrible. And then, you know, they pull out the roles and responsibilities and it's like, are you doing this, this, and this? Yes. Um, like, did you do this today? Did you do this? Yes. Well, then you're doing, you're doing your job. Why are you, why are you freaking out here? You know, and, you know, having those things to fall back on is really important because then you know that it's like, okay, I've, I've reached these, this threshold. So like, it's even like you could take a, a, a sigh of relief that you've like um, you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do so and then again there's no comparison to anybody else either it's just like this is me I meet these responsibilities I'm doing my thing 
and then it's good. So I, I think that that data is key because you're only comparing yourself to mm. objective truth yourself. <laughs> yeah, definitely having those strong bullet points of like you need to do A, B, and C I think is really helpful because like as long as you're sort of orbiting those responsibilities, like you're doing your job, you're fine, you're going to be okay, you know. Do you like our sound? Because support for FizzBuzz Podcast is provided by Cloud Microphones from Tucson, Arizona. Cloud Microphones is a maker of boutique ribbon microphones and the Cloud Lifter line of mic activators. Cloud lifters are used around the world for recording, broadcasting, and other live sound applications. For more information or to hear Cloud products in action, check out cloudmicrophones.com! Roth, I'm curious, do you have a time in your life that you felt imposter syndrome and how do you think that you got out of it? I've definitely had it for as long as I can think. Like that feeling, mm -hmm. I, I just tend to be the kind of person who um, always thinks I'm not good enough at something. That's just how my brain works, I guess. So I, I feel like a lot of the time that was imposter syndrome, but a lot of the time it was also just me. Like there have definitely been moments where I just wasn't good enough at what I was trying to do. And I don't think I could always tell that apart. Like there's definitely been times in my life where I erred on the other side of it, maybe being too confident about my work, um, more confident than I maybe should have been. Oh, the dentistry. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my brief career as a dentist. There's actually, um, I don't know if you know, imposter syndrome's evil twin, uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you ever heard about that? No, tell us. Uh, this is a result of my Wikipedia level depth research on the topic of imposter syndrome. Um, but there's another cognitive bias called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is, as you would expect, kind of the opposite problem of imposter syndrome. So rather than unjust, unjustly thinking that you are not qualified for something, you actually have too much confidence in your abilities in doing something. And that's kind of what the, the Dunning-Kruger effect kind of describes. So I never really know which side of that I fall on, right? And, you know, data is the answer to that question most of the time. But um, I think for most of my career, I would have and I erred on the side of imposter syndrome of just having less confidence in my work than I maybe should have had. Mm -hmm. And maybe at occasional, <laughs> in occasional moments, maybe been on the other side of it too. I think we all kind of fall in the middle. Like these two describe very big extremes. Like imposter syndrome is uh, like almost the extreme opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think on average people fall somewhere in the middle. So we're always on one side of it, just a little bit. Wow. And I think there's a perfect, no one's ever perfect in like there's the, the skill to confidence ratio is never perfect. Someone's always over or under it. Yeah. I guess it's just on you to tell like how far on which side you are. There are two wolves inside you. Yes. <laughs> one is imposter syndrome and the other is Dunning-Kruger. You choose who you feed. Ah. <laughs> but no, I think that's right. Because like, there are some times where you know you feel wildly confident about a solution and you're like, this is great. This is, has to work. And then you realize like, if you comment out that code completely, the app still runs and nothing has changed. So, you know, like I, I definitely think, yeah, like you can be blindsided by imposter syndrome and or being too confident. I think it's possible to feel both. I think that's actually what happens most of the time. Like when we're in the middle there, it's never black and white. It's not mm. like if you're, it's never like you're, you're, you're absolutely, you're great and you just don't feel that way. Or, you know, you, you, what you think you can do 
um, sorry, how do I put this? Uh, it's, it's never as black and white as it might sound when you talk about these two extremes. And I think it can be a mix of both. Like you can actually be underestimating your abilities, um, but some like, cause our work is complicated, right? You're doing a lot of different things. You have to like a lot, a lot of different aspects go into our work. So you can actually be like a little overconfident with some part of it, a little less confident with another. And it turns into this strange mix. So um, I don't think the answer is as easy as just labeling it one or the other, right? You kind of have to have to reflect a little bit, which makes it difficult. Yeah, and it makes it more challenging to distinguish where you're at. But I think having that awareness of and, and checking in constantly is key. But um, it's funny enough, this reminds me of a CrossFit reference, which is a thing I've started doing. And it's really tough. <laughs> but uh, when I started... I was doing like with we would do some exercises and I was like I'd never seen anybody do that before and I like looked at people doing it they're like you know like they're jumping on top of boxes and like you know they're not making a sound it's kind of like that and I'm like I would never be able to jump on top of a box like that and then I could do it and it was fine you know uh I wasn't doing it as quietly as some people but like I could I could do it but like when I saw it, I was like, I absolutely could never do something like that. But then there were other things like the, I was telling Stacy about the, like, I think they're like wall walks where you kind of like start uh, in a push up at the wall and then you like walk your hands towards the wall and your feet up the wall. And I was like, oh yeah, that's no big deal. And then I could barely even like move my hands like a few centimeters. And it's like, okay, obviously I was overconfident about that one in my upper arm strength, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing, um, I suppose, but just yeah. in a different topic of... Well, that's quite literally the Dunning-Kruger effect, actually, because the effect, so the story of the Dunning-Kruger effect is funny, when it, when, at least when, the way I read about it. There, apparently in the 90s, there was a bank robber, and this guy didn't seem to make any effort to conceal his identity when he robbed banks, so he got caught really mm-hmm. quickly. And when they, I don't know, interrogated him, they found out that he had smeared lemon juice on his face, hoping that that would make him invisible to cameras or something. Um, I don't know how true this is, but that funny story um, piqued the interest of some psychologists who then dug into that effect. They were like, how can someone be so confident, like so confidently incorrect about something? And I think they then, they didn't interview bank robbers anymore, but they talked to students and they found, I guess, what is really the Dunning-Kruger effect is when, is that people with, who are tend to be very competent in something tend to underestimate their abilities, but people who are less competent in something tend to overestimate their abilities in that thing. So that kind of disconnect is what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. And I think one of the big takeaways from that is the less you know about something, the more you tend to underestimate it. So like dentistry, for instance, like I, I don't know the first thing, how hard could that be, right? <laughs> Um, or like what you said about the wall, right? That looks straightforward enough. I think sports is actually a really good example for it because it's easy to just watch, you know, soccer or something and be like, oh, that's easy. You just like run up, kick the ball, go in the net, done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you actually like the professionals spend years getting really good at it, you can apply that to any sport or whatever task instruments. Right? It looks easy enough to play the piano. You just push the buttons. <laughs> um, I think that's that's basically this effect. And the more you learn about those things, be it a sport or code or anything else, the more you start to appreciate the nuance that goes mm. into doing it well, and the better you can recognize that others are doing it well. So until you've actually gone deep enough on something, you can't really tell like what does good look like, you know, from the outside. 
And I think that's that's at the heart of the Dunning-Kruger effect, is that until you've actually done something for a while, you, you, you can barely even tell what good looks like. How would you even know that you're good at it if you don't even know what good looks like? Yeah. And I think that's an, a, one of the reasons I think people assume, like how they explain that Dunning-Kruger effect is that um, we as humans are not good at knowing what good looks like until we've done something long enough and kind of gotten to that point. Yeah. And I suppose in a way you kind of need both. You kind of need to have a little bit of Dunning-Kruger and you need to have a little bit of imposter syndrome because the Dunning-Kruger is going to be what's going to get you in the door. <laughs> you know, that absolute confidence of like, of course I can do this, why not? And then when you realize you're bad at robbing banks, it's that, you know, imposter syndrome that's actually going to spearhead your growth and like kind of put a little bit of pressure on you to get better at robbing banks so you might wear a mask <laughs> next time yeah. instead exactly. of lemon juice. Also, please don't rob banks. <laughs> don't reference this podcast when you're bankrupt. And then if you do, give us a little bit of a cut. But if you, but don't do it. <laughs> don't rub things. Um, but yeah, and if you do, well, never mind. Anyways, <laughs> back to imposter syndrome. But yeah, like having a little bit of both, I think, is probably a healthy thing. Because I think, um, at least for me, like, I feel like imposter syndrome is bad and wrong. You know, like, you know it's that constant inner monologue of like, obviously I was hired to do this job because I had the skills and I have the drive and ambition to do the job well. And that's why they like me and keep me around and blah, blah, blah. But then like, I start to feel a little bit of imposter syndrome of like, Oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing X, Y, and Z, which would maybe be above the requirements that are actually within the job description. And then I'm like, Oh, like, there's the imposter syndrome, there's the badness, that's why I'm not doing a good job, that's why I'm bad at this, you know, like, it kind of feels that way, but I think, like, the way you phrased it earlier, like, that's just actually growth that's happening, rather than imposter syndrome, because, you know, it's it's not as bad as it seems, it's just a little bit uncomfortable when you're growing. Yeah, you know, I think it's natural and even important to have both in your life, like, none of these are wrong. Right, even though if they have these scary names, and imposter syndrome is a pretty harsh name, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're a liar or something. Yeah. But if you just remove the the labels for a moment, it ultimately just comes down to this like your confidence in your abilities, and it's always going to be over or under some imaginary line. That's that's a normal part of life. Um, I think it's just important to dig into that and understand, you know, moment by moment, like why are you feeling that way, and more importantly, maybe watch out for that Dunning-Kruger effect where you might you might actually be feeling like really good about something that you're doing and, and maybe maybe you're not as good at it yet you know so you just have to have to keep those in mind when you think about your work and when you think about how you feel mm. but I think they're both totally normal and I think most of the time um, at least people like me like to think that it's the imposter syndrome at work at, 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 you know at effect um, but you have to watch out for that too because it's very comforting. Nobody likes to think that they're having a Dunning-Kruger moment, right? So, yeah. uh, it's, it's much nicer to think this is imposter syndrome. And I think that's also why you hear more about that in our bubble Yeah. because mm. it's it's comforting, right? It's like, you know, it's a, like a nice thing to say. It's like, oh, I'm feeling, you know, I'm not sure if I'm good at this. Oh, it's imposter syndrome. It'll be, it'll be fine. I'll fake it till I make it. Yeah. And a lot of the time that's the medicine you need. But um, I also think it can, it, it, as I said, it can close the door, right? It can prevent this other avenue of you actually recognizing, wait a minute, there's actually a growth opportunity for me. And let me find a way to lean into that, right? And just actually grow and get better at something. Again, nothing wrong with that, right? No, I think maybe the problem with them is they're both very humbling. 
you know mm. like imposter syndrome is humbling because you recognize in yourself like a bit of a gap of like oh i'm not where i think i should be yet and then at the same time when you realize you've suffered from dunning kruger it's like oh i'm an idiot like <laughs> i jumped in there confidently without knowing anything you know so like i think experiencing both of those things on top of the emotions that you're already experiencing from being a part of those is like you know it's very humbling kind of bit of humanity to be in and being able to recognize which side of the line you're on is it the i just need confidence so i can grow into something or i'm overconfident that that's really the important thing you need to find out about yourself in a moment because that decides the actions you'll take because there are situations where it's fine and good to have the imposter syndrome side of things where um like where you actually realize through data or feedback i'm actually good at this stuff and i just keep going there can be moments where you realize i actually don't know how to do this well enough yet and then you need to grow which is also a great thing to find right and not just kind of stop and be like I'm already good at this. I don't need to grow anymore. If you actually turn that into an opportunity to get better. But then there are also moments in life where you just have to recognize this is maybe not some, like a time and place to learn, like me being a dentist, right? Mm. Um, it's hard to learn on the job. You're perfect yeah. already. Uh, yeah, you know, so. It's not but, your first root canal. But, but there's also but nothing is. wrong with that, you know? Like sometimes there are just moments in life where um, you're just not, you know, it's not the time and place for you to do that thing because you're not good enough at it yet. There are such jobs like everywhere and all of us are dare i say incompetent at things all the time mm -hmm. like it's it's a totally natural thing i think it's actually maybe the stigma related to imposter syndrome that really needs to be talked about is that we all don't know stuff loads of stuff and we're especially in tech or anywhere really we're always doing things we haven't done before so it's totally natural to say like we're not good at things that's okay and uh yeah, I think just imposter syndrome is too quick an answer sometimes for that. Um, it's too easy an answer. A lot of the time we just need to either figure out how to do the thing or realize this is not the time and place for me to figure that out. Maybe I have to go another path. Mm. All of those are good results, but you need to dig that deep, you know? And do you think, because I think that that's like, even on the podcast, that's like what we want to like support people on and support ourselves on and each other. And like, how do we create a culture in tech and in, I guess, the world, I suppose, where like, it's okay not to know everything and it's okay to learn and it's, you know, how can we support each other in finding ourselves in, in the spectrum at each moment of each day with whatever you're doing, you know, because there's always more to learn, but there's always more, you know, there's, it's a... There's just so much that it's impossible to know everything. So like, how can we, how can yeah. we support people and, and making sure that there's no stigma around yeah. I suppose being like, somewhere? Like since you mentored me when I was, you know, a graduate, so like fresh out of, you know, the tech mills and all that stuff. Um, so I suppose like, what's a way that you can support, that you supported me through like, you know, gaining more confidence in, you know, engineering. So like, what are some things that you would say to a graduate or somebody very new to a position? I think the main thing is to explain to everyone, but especially someone coming into the industry that it's like, most of us are figuring a lot of these things out as we go. I think that's, that's the reality for most people. And it's often not something you recognize when you come into it, you kind of just assume, oh, there's, here's this person 
been here for 10 years, you know, is doing all these magical things and kind of just take that for granted. But um, even they probably have like blind spots everywhere and are probably creating a more confident impression that they actually are. Remember what I said about the Dunning-Kruger effect, the people who are more competent at something tend to have less confidence in their abilities. That's probably all the senior engineers you're working with, you know? And so I think making, like really making that clear helps, would help a lot, right? As I just realized this feeling is normal. It's probably never going to go away. Uh, even when you're that 10 year in the industry person, you're still going to feel this lack of confidence about it, maybe especially so about the things you're doing and just starting to embrace that, get used to that feeling and realize that that's normal, you know, and just kind of, once you've embraced it and gotten used to it, I think it becomes a little less scary when you realize everyone is kind of doing it this way. Mm. Yeah, that actually, it made me realize that even very recently I've been like, is it teeter-tottering between like the two where like I might take a step back and be like, oh wow, like I'm a lot better than I used to be. And like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at code. And then I like take another step and I'm like, but you know, nothing, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely nothing. And it gets a little overwhelming and you're like, oh no, how am I going to learn all this stuff about you know this cool thing and this cool thing and lambdas and yeah because the more you learn the more you realize there is to learn so it's an exponential terror you know like oh i learned about databases today but oh my god now i have to learn sql oh i learned sql now i have to learn about how to apply you know like you know it just like it's kind of a snowball effect of Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. It's the Kruger effect again, right? It's like the more you learn about it, the more you realize like just how much there is to know and the more you appreciate people who are performing at a high level. You even know what is there like in databases and SQL. Until that black box has opened, there's no way for you to tell like how good or bad someone is at it really. So again, it's just a totally normal phenomenon. Uh, So that would be my, I think, starting point with someone. I don't know if that's how we did it at the time, but I think trying to demystify like this, this myth or something of the all-knowing engineer who knows all the answers, um, that that person does not exist. And if they, if you encounter them, they're probably just really good imposters. Mm. Or suffering from (laughs) Dunning-Kruger. So yeah, I guess remembering that it's like, you're always going to be showing up to work or showing up to wherever it is and there's always something new to learn something to improve on and just to be comfortable with that and being where you're at in that moment kind of thing i think that's especially with relating to software engineering this is like a very personal take of mine on this but i think that's one of the key things i will see in people who i would call like senior engineers like people who get to a certain degree of experience is actually that they start acting like they don't know things. Like they actually embrace the fact that there's probably a million things about this PR that I'm making, for example, like that I don't know are wrong about it. So that will inform, for example, how well, how much effort they put into getting feedback on their PRs. Like if someone puts a lot of work into a PR so that it's really easy to review and give feedback on, that's probably because they have learned over time that they're probably missing something and if they really want help from others to really find their blind spots, you need to actually like design your PRs that way. Because you realize I don't know a lot of these things and you know I can't really be successful without like leaning on my peers and, and getting that kind of feedback. And so that's actually a thing that you learn. It's kind of contra- like a contra- what's the word? Um, contradictory. A contra- contradictory. 
where like you think that the more senior you get, the more you know and the better you get at these things. I think it's a little bit of the opposite. It's like uh, like being a scientist where you just realize I have to, I need I need to help others challenge my ideas. I need to help others like reproduce this and show where I'm wrong, as opposed to get more confident that I'm right. Uh, I think it's more about learning how to be unconfident about your things and use it as a power so that you can actually be right at the end and arrive at the right result by being wrong and finding out how wrong you are faster essentially mm. yeah failing is good <laughs> yeah just accept you're going to be wrong like just how long will it take you to find out and like how are you going to work with that or are you going to keep trying to pretend that you know all the answers and just kind of like power through um i think the better engineers that I've worked with are probably the kind that have learned how to use like their wrongness about things in the right way. So you heard it here, folks. If you encounter a PR and there's no description in the text, <laughs> yeah, no comments, no nothing updates, you know, gotta challenge it. Imposter syndrome. Step up. Or no, Donnie Kruger. Probably Dunning-Kruger. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's actually a pet peeve of mine. I never thought about it in the context of Dunning-Kruger, right? But um, I, I, I have strong emotions about PRs, which have no context on them and no description, and they're just like a big diff. Um, wh what that basically to me is saying is like, someone already knows they're right. They're just looking for a little check mark so that they can keep going. Like, it's just like, let me get this nuisance out of the way. Please merge my code. It's right anyway, right? And that, that's, that's what I hear or like what I feel when I see those PRs, even if that's not what people had in mind, right? But um, that's what I, that's the feeling I get when I see them. It's like someone who um, just assumes everything is okay and they just want a rubber stamp of approval. Whereas if you see PRs where, which are kind of written and designed to like surface your, your thinking, how did you arrive at this change? What did you learn as you got here? You know, what are you going to do? Like, what are the assumptions you are making about this change? And like really explain it and spell it out um, not only is that fantastic documentation, but it also means every, like like a white paper in science or something where you're giving people all the information they need to actually challenge your thinking. Mm -hmm. Be like, here's an assumption you made that's actually not true, or we already do this in this other place. A lot of the time you don't find those things until someone spells them out. And if it's just like an empty PR with a bunch of code, you never find that, right? All you see is the syntax. So um, again, like this is a personal opinion, but I think that there's a strong correlation between like strong senior engineers and like knowing how to use pull requests in particular as a tool to write better code, basically. Yeah. It's funny because I was going, um, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues and I've, I feel like I've learned over time, the smaller the pull requests, the better, because they're much more digestible and people can review them better and they can have more thoughtful conversations around what you're trying to put out there. And, um, and I have found if I do smaller pull requests, people will comment on them. And then, um, I'd have a massive pull request and people will just hit the green button and they're like, yeah, it's fine. And, and we were just chatting about this and there was like a meme or something, but it was basically like, what I just said, yeah. <laughs> which was, you know, you so write you one line, pay, like files of code change, probably fine. Like she yeah, knows what she's strange. doing. It's fine. Yeah, sure. yeah. One file, hmm, better look at this. Yeah, better <laughs> examine every single word. Yeah, you know. So I think that, um, yeah, they're sort of as you were saying, like hiding behind all of that code, mm. and and just being like, just trust me, it works, it's fine. But really, so like. 
trying to even like find ways to break it up and make it so people can look at the code and talk about it and grow mm. um i think probably is another way to to do that as well if you're really if you're, if you're applying this mindset that you don't know all the answers yet i think like doing that in prs is a a natural consequence um if you really like if once you realize everyone is busy like your small pr for example the reason probably people comment on that more is because they can fit that into their day a lot easier it's much easier to review a pr that only has like two files changed or something in it rather than 20. so when people look at a pr with 20 file changes you're probably going to get less quality review on it because that's how humans work right and the more effort you put into that pr to either keep it small and split it up and give commentary on it the more likely you are to get meaningful feedback into it. It's not that your PR is any more right or wrong. It's that you're designing for your audience, right? Like if you, if you really, like, why are you doing a PR in the first place? Why are you asking others for a review? It's probably because you want them to review it. And if you're creating PRs that people just give you a stamp on, they're not reviewing it. You might as well just be merging domain. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah. if you want to do PRs right, you have to, you have to make it work for humans. And those humans will, you know, it's like usability or design kind of, subject here there are certain there's a certain formula that will work well with people and a certain formula that won't and if you really take it seriously you want their input and you want to want their help to improve your work then you need to kind of optimize for the people it's not just a big diff that you want to merge it's basically like writing you know it's like writing a blog article or something mm -hmm. if you want them to read it and understand it you have to follow a certain pattern I'm going way off the rails here, by the way. <laughs> no, it's all good. Like, because, um, like, the theme is advice. And this is all really good advice. Like, I feel like I'm, like, writing down, like, okay, make smaller PRs. <laughs> 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 um, and, like, you know, it's, like, that too is, like, you know, getting advice on things makes you more confident in the right way to, you know, approach things. And kind of that also combats feeling, like, imposter syndrome or, you know that you're doing something the wrong way you know so it's all good advice it's all adding up <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like it is on topic in that like that's at least one way that i deal with this realization that there's stuff i don't know and that's totally normal so what do you do about it is the question right you can either pretend you know everything or you can just start embracing that you don't and this is just one of the many examples maybe an important one for software engineers in particular and how they can embrace you know their blind spots and actually actively work against them through the power of their peers yeah yeah it is it's one of those things where like for me as well to sometimes to grow like i need really like direct advice or like feedback so it's like okay you like if someone tells me you know your code will improve if you make smaller PRs or if you add this into your PRs or if you do this, that's really like practical hands-on ways to improve. And then like, you don't even realize that that stuff also, which like feels like it's not emotional. It's more in action. It's the data, but it's the data, but like it actually helps with imposter syndrome because it's like, even for us writing the PRs, it's easier to make a smaller PR it's easier for smaller PRs to be approved and to test mm -hmm. and so on. And then you build more confidence and you learn, you know? So like having that, like, uh, that's why I think this is so relevant because it's like finding these ways to, you know, give actionable things 
to help people grow, then like it just has this knock on effect of like combating the imposter syndrome, but then not being too confident, you know, because you're learning, you're growing, and you're seeing, you know, yeah. the changes and the difference. So, and you're creating the data set that you need to prove to yourself that you're on the right track. Because what's better is like 10 really small PRs that had conversation on them and you learned a lot and you merged it all rather than one big 10 file PR that nobody commented on, you didn't learn anything and it gets merged and everything breaks. You know, it's like, that's gonna hurt your confidence way more. But then like when you look back at the data, it's like, oh, I've merged 10 PRs. I'm getting confident on, I know what I'm doing to merge 10 PRs, you know? So it's that data you need to back up your your mad claims that you're a software engineer, you know? <laughs> I think that would be a, a sign of a good PR in my book anyway, is one where there was conversation and then some realization that something wasn't perfect and then maybe a follow-up to make it better before it got merged. That is actually what a healthy PR should look like. If you have a PR where there's no conversation and just like a proven merge, not necessarily, but I think a lot of the time that's a missed opportunity. Like there, there was probably a conversation that should have been had, could have been had, but wasn't. And it's like, why is that the case? It's like when you share a document, right? And you want others to read it and get input on it and nobody gives you any comments. I don't think you're done yet. Like it's just, people mm -hmm. just haven't read it yet. And there's, there has to be something that someone disagrees with or has a question about. And if that doesn't happen, then you're probably lying to yourself a little bit about like that this was a good PR or a good document. So unless someone has disagreed, they haven't heard you yet. They haven't paid attention. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. As I said, like I, this might sound like a bit backward, it's like you want people to disagree with you, but I think that I think you have to have that mindset. Um, if you just accept that you're probably wrong about something, you just don't know it yet. You want to get to that f as fast as possible. And if people are not giving that signal, then you need to change your method. Mm -hmm. I, I think as well, it's like finding ways to be okay to have criticism and feedback. And no, it's not about you personally or your ideas or anything it's more just about the the goal at hand like if you write a doc it's probably for you know a, a a greater goal and and you're just the person you know who's who's writing it up because you have the initial ideas or you were the one who took the action but like all in all and the same with the pr it's like you know you have a goal to finish a feature or to fix the bug or to do something and you know taking on that feedback it's not if someone says oh you should actually do it in this way or why didn't you do it this way that doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad engineer it just means that you know there's another way yeah and, and there's always another way there's, there's always, always another way. one way to do things in software engineering like everyone has such unique perspectives at the end of the day because everyone has had different learning journeys through tech and you get such interesting like oh I think you should do it this way or I think you should do it that way so it's I think it's good because you get to see another way of how to do it but you can also then argue if your way is better once you have like an understanding that like there's more than one way to you know code a cat in a sense <laughs> um so it's like you know there's more than one way to do it so like you can argue like actually I think mine's better because it has less latency or blah 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 like and that also shows that you know what you're talking about and therefore helps cure imposter syndrome <laughs> or do you want to cure it 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Maybe they think it just makes me super quirky and fun, so I want to <laughs> keep it around. <laughs> the lifestyle. Yeah, it's a personality trait. <laughs> I read about, um, there's a, loads of books about Netflix, um, you know, the company, but, and their internal... <laughs> no, tell me more. What is this Netflix? What is this Netflix? <laughs> it's like cable, but on the internet. <laughs> tell me, what is this cable? <laughs> And uh, they're, they've written a lot about their internal company culture mm -hmm. and to the point of it probably being a bit buzzwordy. Um, one thing I remember reading about from their culture, which stuck with me, is what they called farming for dissent. And it's basically this activity we were talking about on PRs right now, where you basically make an effort to find disagreement. Like the disagreement is out there somewhere. You just don't, you just haven't found it yet. And like getting to that point quicker rather than finding out late down the line that you are maybe wrong about something or you made a bad decision like the longer you wait the worse it gets right? the more time you spent possibly going down the wrong avenue uh, so that's kind of their term for it is farming for dissent inside the company and they encourage, encourage apparently i haven't been on the inside of netflix but apparently they encourage everyone to do that and i think that's a really useful habit to build um, not just but maybe especially as a software engineer is to just look for that disagreement find ways to find that faster um, you will be all the better for it, no matter where, which level in your career you are on. You know, um, it's always useful to build tools to learn faster. And I think as well, like when people disagree, it doesn't necessarily mean that like they think that their opinion is right. Sometimes it's just like I have an idea and I have to flag it, and we should discuss it further before we continue on with just this one avenue or one approach. And then most of the time, people usually end up using a few different ideas to like create one, you know, mega approach versus like, you know, just Roth's idea or just Mo's idea or just Stacy's idea. It's usually a combination of the three of us working together to create something. And it's always better and, and more whole that way. Yeah, because I think that's really one of the key things that I've learned is like coding is collaborative. Like you get a lot of feedback from a lot of people. It's very rarely that you merge something that's 100% like your own, unless it's like something niche. But anyways, for the sake of example, <laughs> but like it's like it's such a collaborative thing. But like in movies and stuff, you see it's always like some guy in a black hoodie in a dark room, like contributing the whole entire application and like I control the internet and all that stuff and I feel like that's such a um, rare occasion in like actual tech companies like it's always collaborative in like the world I live in <laughs> but you know I'm sure in some cases it is all just one guy in a black hoodie in a dark room but you know for the most part you use each other's tools to create a good software. And we, the work we all do is usually so complicated that not a single person really knows all the answers anyway, no matter how smart you are. I think um, you need to you need to like form Voltron or something. Yeah. Bring a lot of brains together if you want to get as right as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think a single person will ever be able to do that. Yeah. I always like to say software engineering is a team sport. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Is there yeah. anything else around, you know, the area of imposter syndrome we want to cover before we, you know, sign off and conclude? Any last thoughts, last words, last tangents? Last tangents. I'm trying to rewind all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. We've covered a lot now. 
so we we started off i suppose even to uh, a good conclusion paragraph sort of talks <laughs> about all the things we've discussed in the last hour um so we've talked about our own experiences imposter syndrome we've discussed um Some tools to help tools to help mainly data and tools that have helped us individually as well um things to say to people who are just starting a new career mm-hmm. um, and then the difference between imposter syndrome and donnie kruger donnie kruger which i think was a big one and i think a new perspective mm. that i hadn't really thought of before so yeah I think that definitely big. the missing other half to imposter syndrome because i always think of it as like one big whole imposter syndrome but really it's only half of the picture the evil twin yeah the evil twin the yin and the yang because if you think about it you don't really know which side you're on most of the time like how how could you right if you're if you're feeling low confidence you don't know if you should and if you're not feeling low confidence maybe you should (laughs) how can you tell the difference right and i think you should feel low confidence yeah you you can never really know so basically you can't trust you know your yourself most of the time to Mm -hmm. tell the difference and i think that's the big conclusion here is like don't be too quick to label it either way. Just make sure, um, just accept you're probably wrong about some things and that's okay. And lean on the people around you to counter that bias, like with any other bias, right? Biases are normal mm-hmm. and we need, we need, we can support each other to recognize them. So once you're aware of that, I think you're on the right track. And, uh, I, I, I don't like it when people either who I hear talk about this or even people who report to me jump to the conclusion of imposter syndrome too quickly. I try to open that perspective up a little bit when the topic does come up, because there's usually something actionable in there. And saying imposter syndrome is kind of stopping the conversation a little early, a lot of the time. I like it. I like that, you know, we're able to dive deep and see that there's something more. And I definitely think that is also key, is taking a deeper look underneath the layer of like why you're feeling a specific way. Because like you just said, like once you've figured that out, there's something actionable there. So don't become blinded by imposter syndrome or Dunning-Kruger. Like take a deeper look inside. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, I suppose then that's it. That's our That's show. a wrap. That's a wrap. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for tuning into FizzBuzz and thank you so much for joining us, Raf. We really enjoyed chatting about imposter syndrome. I think it's one of the most important things to talk about in these times of our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, and for the listeners, if you want more FizzBuzz, you can follow us on all our social medias, such as FizzBuzzPodcast at Instagram.com, Twitter.com, Gmail.com. And maybe one day, but not yet. TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. <TikTok.com>. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, follow us on TikTok.com, fellow young children. <laughs> Neat. I actually just. Uh, Have you seen the thing on the Netflix? <laughs> yeah. What is Netflix again? <laughs> I think it's some sort of motion picture idea. <laughs> Unconfirmed. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Raf. We are absolutely so glad that we could have had you on the podcast, and it was such an honor. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Anytime. All right. All right. And before we sign off, 
Don't be a dick and make money. 